So, um, so Tammy is not on our church staff. She is a nurse on the cardiac cath lab at Beth Israel. So if you think cardiac cath labs are cool, talk to Tammy after church, and you guys can really get into that stuff. So I'm going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit um, to bring this message to us. Lord Jesus, I bless Tammy, um, and we do. We just submit ourselves to the word of the Lord. We just want every word of Scripture to rule over us and to work its way into our hearts. God, we really want to know you. Uh, we just bless Tammy. We just ask for a spirit of, uh, of wisdom and grace uh, for this sermon. And Lord, would you give us hearts that are attentive to the word of the Lord? Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Okay. Here I am. <laughs> um, thanks, John. Um, like John said, my name is Tammy Luong, and I am a life group leader here at Antioch Brighton. Uh, I am also a wife, hubby Dennis over there, a full-time nurse, like John said, a full-time mom to our son, EJ, and a full-time dog mom to our Bernadoodle named Rainier. Um, I do have some fun facts about myself. Uh, I like to juggle, and I know how. I'm sorry, I didn't bring anything to demonstrate. Um, and I, I also have a very high tolerance for spicy food. So if you love spicy food, let's go grab a meal together. Um, and I will agree to paint your house for you, the inside, because I find it some, uh, quite therapeutic, and I'm kind of good at it, right, Mike? Um, but, you know, preaching a sermon was not on that list. So today I feel so honored and privileged to be in front of you today to preach the Word of God, and that's what I pray that it is, the Word of God and not my own. All right. So for those who are new, welcome. We are so glad you are here. Um, we as a church body, like Becky had mentioned, are going through the book of Romans. So the past couple weeks, various speakers have preached on uh, chapters 1 and 2. And today, I have the privilege to tackle the first few verses of chapter 3. But before I begin, I want to recap some main points and themes of chapter 1 and 2 and hopefully get some context as to what was going on during that time so we can hopefully understand uh, this passage better. So the book of Romans is written by Paul, who was a Jewish rabbi that had a radical encounter with Jesus and is now an apostle of God, traveling to different places, sharing the good news of Jesus. Paul is writing to the city of Rome before he actually gets there. And it's a mixed bag of people, Jew and Gentile. And there's a lot of conflict among these two groups of people, how they viewed the world, how they viewed God, how they think they should live the world, how they viewed sin. Um, and Paul doesn't know these people yet, but he's hoping to encourage them and get their um, support as he wants to move his ministry geographically west. So, Paul begins uh, in chapter 1 by introducing himself, sharing the gospel and what he believes, and then he calls uh, unity among the division of the Jew and the Gentile, because he says in the end, we are all sinners. He then goes on to emphasize the sin of the Romans in the end of chapter 1, and then chapter 2 talks about the characteristics of God as a righteous judge. And we, as humans, have no excuse to pass judgment on others. The end of chapter 2, Paul brings us back to the Jews and the law. Chris Yetz, who preached last week, touched on this point of hypocrisy under the law. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter your works. It doesn't matter who you are, Jew or not. And 
what you do outwardly and religiously doesn't matter to God. But what matters to God is inside your heart. All right, well, that's a lot packed into the first two chapters, and I hope you're still with me, um, but we will uh, enter into chapter three today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull that out. I will be reading in Romans chapter three, verses one through eight, and I have the NIV um, translation. And if you don't have your Bible, it's also projected up there. All right. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? What value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, you have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I am using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is deserved. This is the word of God. Okay, Paul, well, that's a lot of questions and a little bit confusing back and forth thing going on. And really, who is Paul talking to? So when I was first assigned this passage, uh, I read it through once and then I set it aside for like a week. This is confusing written right all over my journal. But after some time, about a week, uh, I dove right back in, did some research, and I found out that Paul was using a style of teaching called diatribe which includes an, Amer uh, an imaginary opponent and a rhetorical question and answering. Aha, that makes more sense. So Paul isn't really talking to one specific person. It's not like he's sitting having a conversation, but he rather is posing uh, these questions to these people that he doesn't know um, and haven't met yet, but he's like, this is who I am in chapters one and two, and this is what I'm anticipating you having questions as follow-up. So if you think about this passage like a conversation between you and Paul, it might be a little easier to understand versus reading it through like a full paragraph. For example, me and Paul. Okay, Paul, like what advantage is there in being a Jew? Like why should I care about circumcision? Good question, Tammy. I don't know if he sounds like that. But they have been entrusted with the very words of God. That's cool, but like what if some of us don't have faith? Will my lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Awesome rebuttal. That's a great question. No, it actually doesn't, because let God be true and every man a liar, and so forth. Hopefully that makes a little bit more sense. So as we walk through this passage, verse by verse, question by question, I hope we can figure out together what Paul is trying to communicate to us. So the words that initially stand out, faithfulness, righteousness, just, truthfulness, and sin. All these verses, or chunk of verses, can honestly be sermons in it of themselves. But lucky for you, today I get to unpack each one of them briefly, um, and as we walk through this journey that Paul has us on. He touches on the importance of circumcision, he questions God's faithfulness, his righteousness, and finally sin. 
All of these elements of God are important, but I believe that Paul emphasizes sin as the key to our relationship with God. Sin keeps us from seeing God rightly and fully, and sin impacts our relationships with others. Paul begins by asking, what advantage is it of being a Jew? The point of view of the Jew at the time was that they were the chosen people, uh, exempt from God's judgment, law-abiding, and superior to others. Okay, so what advantage is it of being a Jew if it doesn't guarantee your salvation? It's not like, checkmark Jew, okay, great, entrance to heaven. And what is the importance of circumcision? which at the time was the outward expression of worship and obedience to the law. Well, why should we do it? Paul then answers the question. They, the Jews, were entrusted with the words of God. Paul acknowledges that the importance of knowing God's word. The advantage they had at that time was that they knew the word of God and no one else did. But just knowing the words of God doesn't necessarily follow or obey them. We can ask those same questions today. What advantage is it of being a Christian? What is the value of going to church and praying and sharing the gospel? This is like our modern-day version of circumcision, is it not? And we can also answer it in the same way. We have the truth. The truth is in the word that God has given us in the Bible. We are meant to approach sin differently than the rest of the world because we have a different perspective of what sin is and how we need to respond to it. Great. So we have the truth. Awesome. But then Paul says, okay, well, what if some of us don't believe or lack faith? It's pretty relatable, right? Sometimes my faith could be very little. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't change God's faithfulness. Your faithfulness or your unfaithfulness does not equal God's faithfulness. He will be faithful no matter what. God's faithfulness is bound to his character. It is not circumstantial. Chris uh, gave this example last week. Israel's unfaithfulness throughout the Old Testament. They were the chosen people, but then they encountered hardship, so they wandered. But then God was like, no, I'm still here. I'm still going to be faithful and love you. So they came back. But then they fell short again and again, yet God was there time and time again. So their lack of faith did not nullify or cancel out God's faithfulness to them. So an example from my life. Like uh, John said, Dennis and I moved here to Boston about four years ago after the D school. Um, if you want more questions about that, let us know. Um, if any of you uh, know, Boston apartments are interesting. Um, we lived in 700 square feet. It was great. But then we said, hey, we felt God uh, calling us in the season of transition to find a home. So we prayed and we prayed, like, what, what do you have in store, God? We made lists of what we wanted, and we felt God say, find a home not just for you, but for others as well, to do life on life and have people live with you. The words we uh, felt that were spoken over us was in Isaiah 54, 2. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Awesome. We had the word of God. We felt encouraged, excited. We were ready to do this. But that excitement dwindled pretty quickly as the house search began. 
I kid you not, I say we, and not just a collective Dennis and I we, but like we, because some of you in this room took time out of your week and your weekends to go look at homes with us. I, we looked at like 100 different houses, three failed offers later, some tears were shed, and disappointment definitely crept in. Okay, maybe we were wrong, we should give up, we should live in this apartment forever. It honestly had a great view, so I was okay with it. Um, our faith began to shrink. But to make a long story short, while we were actually away in Seattle visiting some family, a house in Brighton came on the market. Uh, we had some friends go look at it for us because at this point, they were pretty much professionals. They knew what to ask. They knew what we were looking for. They knew how to critique uh, the houses on what we felt like God was giving us vision for. Uh, when I got back to Boston on some random Monday, I went to see it, just standing on the outside because I had no keys to get in. I probably looked like I wanted to rob the place. Um, but that night, we put an offer in on that house without Dennis or I actually stepping foot inside the house. And now we live in that beautiful home with three roommates. Okay, well, four if you count EJ, and then five if you count Rain as well. Um, that has everything we wanted on our checklist and more. I'm telling you this because I feel like a lot of you can relate um, to a story in your life when your faith wavered like Paul says in verse 3, but God never does. He remains true and faithful to his promises, always. Awesome. So we should be set, right? But guess again, Paul just keeps asking the hard questions. In verse 5 and 6, he brings up God's righteousness. He says, how could God judge the world? So if you think this way, our God knows all, controls everything, and despite our unrighteousness, as Paul points out in verse 5, it will still bring God's righteousness out. So how can God be right to then inflict judgment on us if he already knew we were going to fail? We're merely humans falling short. And then also notice how Paul uses our unrighteousness. What shall we say in that he will bring his wrath on us in these verses? I think he did this intentionally to show that he, an apostle of God, was not excluded from God's righteousness and judgment. He's emphasizing whether a law-abiding Jew or a lawless Gentile are under the same judgment and wrath of God. No exceptions, no exclusions. And that is the integrity of our God. He does not favor one or the other. Our God is right and just to all, whether you, me, Jew, or Gentile, and that is why he can judge the world. He is always right and always just, and that may be different from what we think is right and just. So it is then up to us and our heart posture on how we receive that judgment. Do we see it as God's characteristic as loving, just, and fair, or unloving, harsh, and mean? Or do we want our God to be just and right for others? Oh, let God condemn others for their sins, but let me be excused for mine. This part of God is not your like warm and fuzzy, like your Christmas blanket. Um, and it's always kind of scared me growing up. I am the rule follower to the T. Uh, scared of judgment and consequences 
of what I did or did not do. Um, and I saw God as sitting high above the clouds, looking down on me, waiting for me to sin, waiting for me to lie, waiting for me to cheat, waiting for me to disobey my parents, and then bam, condemn me when I did. While this point of view made me miss out on the other aspects of how loving and gracious our Heavenly Father is. But for some, if we don't see this aspect of who God is, right and just, we miss the opportunity to experience the wholeness of his character and the chance to be renewed and experience his love for us on a different level. Uh, Maybe if you think about this other way. So EJ, who is uh, now one and a half, Uh, As a mom, I want the very best for him. I want the best for his health, his growth, his clothes, his learning, his safety. I want the best for every aspect of his life. But guess what? He doesn't quite agree when I take that snack away from him that I want the best for him. He then, of course, proceeds to, like, throw his arms, kick his legs, cry. Some of you have witnessed this, usually in the middle of a sidewalk or crowded mall or church. Um, But I don't take the snack away from him because I don't want him to enjoy it or have it. I take it away because I know that if he has too much of it, it will make his belly hurt. Or I know that there is a better lunch or dinner that is coming that is better than his snack. But you try explaining that to a a one-and-a-half-year-old who's throwing a tantrum on the ground. My point is... EJ is beginning to learn that I am the mom that gives good snacks, that loves him and cares for him, but I am also the mom who takes away the snack, yet still loves and cares for him. Parenting is not one-dimensional. You're not always the most fun. Sometimes you have to be not fun because that's what your child needs. And this is like our Heavenly Father. He wants the best for us in all areas of our life. But sometimes we don't see it, we can't see it, or we don't quite understand it. But are we seeing our God in one dimension? You know, just the warm and fuzzy God and not the right and just God. If we don't see God as right and just in relation to sin, it prevents us from seeing the wholeness of who he is and what he wants for us. That is usually something bigger and better than we can imagine. All right. Well, if that wasn't enough, um, Paul continues to ask more questions and presses on. He needed me to make that 30-minute sermon time. So, verse 7, he says, Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, let us do more evil that good may result? So, I read the uh, message version paraphrases verse 7 and 8 like this. Hopefully we can um, understand it a little bit better. It's simply perverse to say, if my life served to show off God's truth in all the more glorious, why blame me? I'm doing God a favor. Some claim, this is Paul speaking, saying that people are accusing him of teaching this. The more evil we do, the more good God does. So let's just do it. He responds with, that's pure slander. So in other words, if my sin, we know sin is bad, brings out God's truthfulness and therefore gives him glory, which is good, right? We want to give God glory. Why am I still being judged as a sinner? Well, the answer is because it's you who sinned. It is I who sinned and not God. 
my sin, my envy, my gossip, my greed, my lies, my sin, no one else. We can't say God made us do it. He has given us the free will to choose. And our sins does not directly equal glory to God. It's not like a cause and effect or a direct correlation, right? I lied, so it brings glory to God. I hurt my friend, so then it brings glory to God. I cheated on my homework, so it brings glory to God. And then the more evil we do, the more good God does. So let's just do it. The sins we commit, are we rationalizing and justifying it through this lens? My sin glorifies God, so it's actually okay if I sin. God is going to be good and faithful regardless of me being sinful or not, so I should just, you know, continue doing what I'm doing because, like, why not? What would be the reason for not sinning? If our sins bring out God's goodness, why should I stop sinning? I should continue, right? Because keep doing something if it's good? I want you to think of someone you love. That could be your sister, it could be your brother, your mom, dad, uh, husband, wife, son, daughter, your dog, your cat. Um, That person you love probably loves you back just as much. And so... I think of Dennis. Wow, I've mentioned Dennis a lot in this. Um, When Dennis and I actually first got married, I felt uber uncomfortable praying aloud with him. It was all me and all of my insecurities, but I never told Dennis that. So whenever a situation would come up that would require me to pray out loud with him, i differ. Oh, babe, I did that, like, last time. You, you take it this time. Or, like, oh, no, no, I'm good. Like, I'm really in thought with the Holy Spirit right now. You, you take it. Any excuse. <laughs> well, um, that didn't last long because one day we got into a fight. It's always a fight when these things come up. He has said, you know, I really feel hurt by your silence. I had no intention of hurting Dennis with my lie or my dishonesty, but it brought pain to him. It hurt the person I love. Is this the same with our relationship with God, the God we say we love? So why would we want to do something to hurt the person we love? Or try to hide our sins from him, thinking it's okay and justified? This particular situation for Dennis, I was very transformative for our marriage. The truth brought greater freedom, greater sweetness, greater depth. That would not have happened if that sin stayed hidden. Our sin impacts our relationship first with God. All he wants is a relationship with you. Like Chris pointed out last week, our God is a relational God. He doesn't care about the outward displays of faith and religion. He just wants a relationship with you. And then secondly, our sin impacts our relationships with others. If you think that your sin only affects yourself, I want you to think about your life. Do you live it in isolation? Walk down the street with no one else around. Whatever sin that is hidden in the dark that you think only you know and only impacts you, I want you to give it a second thought. The population of Brighton, according to my first Google search, so please don't quote me on this, it's like 45,000 people. That's a lot, and probably growing. And the population of the U.S. is like some big number I honestly probably can't even pronounce. But my point is we are meant to live among one another. 
Your sin impacts how you view people, how you value people, how you love people, how you love yourself, and how you love God. He calls us to love one another like he has loved us. And sin stands in that way of our relationship with others that can yield greater intimacy, greater joy, greater freedom that we miss out on if we are led to think that our sins don't matter. Paul raised a lot of questions of faith that we can relate to today, even though this was not written in 2022. Our identity in Christ, our unfaithfulness, God's righteousness, and why it matters if we sin. We, whether Paul was talking to me, you, the Jew, or the Gentile, or all of the above, are all unfaithful, are all unrighteous, we are all liars, and we are all sinners. But our sins don't change who God is. He is still faithful when we are not. He is just and right when we are not. And he will be glorified even if we had nothing to do with it. But we have to see that our sin impacts those around us. And it stands in the way of experiencing the wholeness and the fullness of our Father in heaven. So as I invite the band up... I want us to just take some time to call out to our Father um, and reflect on one of two things. How has your relationship with God been? What has your time looked like? And be honest with yourself and Him. He already knows. Like, is there a sin standing in the way of that relationship somehow? Bring it to Him. He just wants you. And then Paul raises a lot of questions in these verses. Our journey with God looks different at different seasons of our life, but if there are some questions you have about God or for God, grab someone, and let's walk through those questions together. We want to be a church body that walks alongside people in all of the muddy and the clear waters. So as Becky begins, um, I will pray us uh, to close. God, we um, thank you for your character that is unwavering and not circumstantial um, and not based on how uh, good or how funny or what we look like or who we are, but that you love us and that's all you want from us, God. And so to, yeah, just pray for each and every person in this room. Um, I pray for a greater intimacy um, with you um, and a greater joy that is received by receiving your love, God. Um, we thank you for your word today. Um, yeah, will we just dwell in your presence?